Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Good morning. How are you? How are you doing? Oh, good. You're with me. All right. Good to see you this morning. It's really great to be here. It's only been a couple of weeks since the last time I got to join you when we started this series on 1 John. Hopefully you've really enjoyed it. Just to remind you, um, my wife Marilee and I are pastoral assistants at the church. You'll see us occasionally down here speaking. We lead the healing and restoration ministry as well and do some other things. Um, it's great to be back. Like I said, we're in the middle of the First John series. We're up to chapter 4. So um, if you're not enjoying it, it's almost over. If you are enjoying it, um, we've got this week and next still to go. Um, hopefully we've really, really gotten a lot out of it. It's expository teaching, which means we're really going verse by verse through the book, seeing what it has to say. A lot of times our messages will be topical in nature. Maybe we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit or love or patience or whatever it may be. And we'll look at different verses that talk about the topic. And in this type of teaching, we go right through verse by verse to see what, um, in this case, what John was communicating when he wrote this letter of 1 John. So I wanted to review for you. The last time I was here, I mentioned I love intros, and so I thought we should review the intro real quick, just to remember where we're at, and because I love him so much. I put this up when we were here. We talked all about John. He was a fisherman. He became Jesus' disciple. Um, He was in the inner circle of Jesus during Jesus' ministry, and then he became a pillar of the early church after Jesus died, rose again, and this thing called the church started and spread. John was a key part of that. Um, He's also the author not only of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, but the Gospel of John earlier in the New Testament and the book of Revelation at the end of the New Testament. So that's who John was. And we said he had three purposes that we um, called out for writing the book, to refute false teachings, to give the believers confidence in their faith, kind of like this assurance of salvation idea, And third, describe righteous living. So I'm sure you all could have summed that up, but I just wanted to cover in case some people were on vacation, you might have missed it, or just kind of remember what are the the key themes of the book and who wrote it. And you're going to see, we talked about how this book is kind of cyclic. It's repetitive. He says the same things again and again. He repeats himself. He comes around it and around it and around it. Amber got it pretty quick. She's like, I see what you're doing right there. You're, you're being cyclic. Yeah, it was, it was pretty good. Okay, so you're going to see that again today. These three themes are going to show up again and again. I might say the same thing again and again. It's because John is emphasizing again and again. And when we read the other books of the New Testament, a lot of them are written by the Apostle Paul, and he's very linear, which kind of fits, at least with my way of thinking, too. It's like this, then that, then that, then that, then that. Therefore, there it is. And John's more like, Hey, love, 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 from all these angles. So that's what it's going to look like today and what it has looked like. Last week, Kathy Spaulding was here. She talked about the first six verses of chapter four, which was about test the spirits. It was really revolving around this like false teachers thing that John's dealing with in the early church. So we're going to jump in verses seven through 21, the rest of chapter four. And it's a little bit of a transition and a shift um, from what she talked about last week. Awesome. Are you ready? I'm ready. 
All right, verses 7 through 21 this week. We're going to start here looking at um, verse 7 and 8. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Excuse me. So he's talking about loving one another, being born of God, and that God is love. And really this statement, God is love, it's going to come up again later in this passage, and it is really the foundation for this whole section. God is love. So we're going to talk about it a lot. And I think one of the things he's saying is that not only is God loving, but he is the source of love. Right? When he talks about love one another, it's talking about God as the source of that love and drawing up out of that source to love each other. Um, so we'll see that. I'm going to highlight that many, many times this morning. It also is hitting on that confidence or assurance. Who's in? Who's out? Who's a, tr- a true believer? Who's a false teacher you know, in the midst? And, and love is one of these key indicators that he's talking about. Um, <clears throat> I don't know a ton about like uh, plants. I don't forage and stuff, but some some people do and really enjoy that. And apparently, there are these look-alike plants, right? Like there's one that you can eat, and, it's, and your day's going to be great. And there's another one that it, it looks really similar, but if you eat it, you're going to have a bad day. And so this is a picture of one I found on the internet. There's grapes on the left, and on the right, it's Canadian moon seed. I guess is what this one's called, and it tastes bitter and it'll make you sick. Can it, it's, it's the Canadian's fault. Huh? Are there some in the room? We apologize. We apologize, eh? I love Tim Hortons. Great coffee. So the idea here, this is just a little analogy to say, you know, what John was dealing with, what he was writing about is, hey, among those in the church, there are some who look a lot like us. But the fruit being bared in their life is bitter. It is not good. It's actually poisonous. So we've got to watch out for it. We've got a taste test is what we're saying here. Taste the fruit and see who's good, who's not. Who's drawing from that source of godly love and who is something else. Um, So I want to put it another way, and it's this. Our actions reveal the choice we already made. Okay? So the verses we already read said, Everyone who loves has been born of God. So we've, many of you in this room, have made the decision to be born of God, to be born again, to follow Jesus with all your heart, and your actions will reveal that choice that you already made, right? And the actions of those who haven't really made that choice, who haven't really committed to be a follower of Jesus, will reveal that they have not made that choice. And that's what John's getting at. Um, A couple of weeks ago, when Jimmy talked about chapter 3 of 1 John, he read the verse... um, the first verse, it said, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And I think he said something similar to this. He said, Failing to love is inconsistent with being a child of God. Right? And what we're getting at is that you don't run around loving people, loving people, loving people, trying to become born of God. That's getting it flipped, getting cart before horse. You become born of God. You experience God's love, the source of love. And what happens is you draw out of that source and love others. Is that good? Yeah. All right, let's move on from the grapes picture and take a look at verse 9. 
He goes on to say, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So God showed his love or demonstrated his love so that we might live. And just a little aside, the worship set was awesome this morning. It was preaching 1 John chapter 4 again and again and again. It was so good. And what Mark started with about being made alive in Christ. We are dead and made alive. This, this verse starts to hit on that as well. And it talks about how God shows his love. He is the source of love. God is love, but he showed his love. And there are other verses that talk about that. In Romans 5, 8, it says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But why is Christ's death the demonstration of God's love? Like, why not something else? Why not flowers? That's a nice thing to do on Mother's Day to show you love and care. I checked that box this morning. My mom's here today. Hi, Mom. It's because all have sinned. We had this broken relationship with God. So God had to demonstrate his love by sending his son to die for us. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No exceptions to the rule except Jesus himself. And Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we had this broken relationship problem. Sin spoiled our good relationship with God, and so God's love is demonstrated by restoring relationship. That was done by sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place, to pay the price for sin, and he rose again and allowed us to be reconciled to God. And then the second part of this verse, it says, that we might live through him. So he came and died that we might live through him. Colossians 2 says it this way. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ and he forgave us all our sins. John said it another way in uh, the gospel of John chapter 3, verse 16. Maybe you've seen it referenced at your favorite football game or you've read it in the gospel of John. There too, that's another legitimate spot to find it. He said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So God's love demonstrated through the sending of his son and his death on the cross. So good, right? That is foundational in our faith. All right, let's look at verse 10. It says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So he's saying more of the same about love, similar, but then he throws in atoning sacrifice. So that's kind of what's new. I wanted to highlight that. Atonement is a very Christian word. And actually, I think I've got it here for you, the definition from the internet dictionary that I looked up, right? Secular dictionary actually has um, our faith in, in it, even though it's a secular dictionary. So atonement, a noun. So it's repairing a wrong or injury, But then it's the reconciliation of God and humankind through Jesus Christ. Our definition of of it's in the secular dictionary. But it's this idea that Jesus, who was sent as the Son, could repair the wrong or injury done by sin. And even more interesting than the definition is the origin. Early 16th century. I was going to say 15th. I was a little off, but I looked it up. Good thing. I'm just kidding. I would have had no idea. But this, the origin of this word... (laughs) Way to sound really smart. Fix your glasses. Uh, early 15th century. Oh, that wine uh, it's an oaky flavor. Um, 
the origin of atonement actually comes from a word, at one. So it's at one meant. To be put at one. It speaks of unity, reconciliation, all of this stuff that we were already starting to talk about. So Jesus came and died as a sacrificial at one to put us at one with God, to repair that broken relationship and bring us back together. Colossians 1.21 says it this way. I've got it up there. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. At one meant... I thought of a joke, which I didn't follow through on. And it was like to get mints and put like a little sticky that said, at one mints, to make it memorable. Maybe Altoids with a little at one mint. Anyway, I didn't know that it, that it meant that, but that's so great. And it's so straightforward. Why can't all words just like say what they mean right in the word, at one mint? That's great. Okay, we'll move on. So not only was it an atonement, but it was sacrificial. It was very costly what Jesus did. Because we remember, he was God. In the beginning, he was with God. He was God. He created all things. Life is good to be Jesus. And yet, he was willing to pay the price of becoming human, being born, living on this earth, amongst this broken creation. He created it, and now it's broken by sin. People are doing things to each other that are not in accordance with his will and his design for this world. It's not in their best interest or the best interest of others. But he came into all of that and was willing to become a human. And not only to become a human, but to serve others. Remember washing feet. Remember all these times where Jesus is going on about his business, doing stuff, extending the kingdom, teaching, and, and people are sick, and he just has compassion on them. And he just stops to serve them and heal their illnesses, and care for people, you know. He's pushing through a crowd just trying to get somewhere, and and a lady's pulling on his robe just wanting to be healed, and he stops and talks to her and heals her. Um, It's just amazing, the sacrificial love of Christ. Philippians 2 talks all about it, and I won't read the whole thing, but it says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's how sacrificial was the love expressed through Jesus Christ. So amazing. All right, let's see what verse 11 has to say. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so what I want to just key in on is since God so loved us, love one another. It's this idea that he is not only the source, but also the example to follow. Because he loved us, because we've received of his love, we love one another. So if you remember, it was, it was stated in, this way in chapter 3 of 1 John. Um, 1 John 3.16, it said, This is how we know what love is. Christ Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So following that sacrificial, loving example of Jesus is what we're called to do, to imitate his love. You know, we're not called to manufacture a love for others or conjure up a love for others or originate some love. You don't have to like try really hard to, you know, love a difficult person. We just tap into that source of God's love for them and and it becomes natural. So you could think of it like a tree 
or a plant that puts its roots deep into its source for water and draws up what it needs and shoots it out to those branches. That's such a great analogy. Yeah. came from Jesus. John chapter 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. You see, this is very similar to what we're reading in 1 John. Remain in me, source of love. Bear that fruit. Um, and, he, and he ends that little passage saying, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Right? Follow my example. That's where I'm going. That's what I'm doing. That's what you can do too if you tap into um, this godly love. Okay. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So this made complete, many of the verses we're looking at have two things that are translated into English as like complete, made complete, or finished. And there's two different Greek words depending on where you're at. So I just wanted to highlight the difference because I think it um, illustrates a little bit more about what John is writing in the letter. There's one type of complete that we read that means full. And there's another type that means to accomplish or finish. It's kind of this task-oriented to do it, to execute it, to see it finished. And the other one is to like be filled up and full. So let's look at where each different type is used just a little bit. Back in John 15, the vine and the branches, Jesus said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete, but it's the full type, so that your joy can be full by hearing what I have to say and by doing this. And in the beginning of 1 John chapter 1, he says, I'm writing you this letter. Here's the stuff we're going to cover, and I write it to make our joy complete. In some translations, it says, make your joy complete. It could probably say both. His joy is going to be filled up and full by you hearing the teaching that he has to give. And your joy is going to be full by hearing this teaching and being able to apply it to your life. So those are the full types of completes. Now the chapter we're in has the the finished, the accomplished types of completes. Here in verse 12 when he said, um, God lives in us and his love is made complete. He's talking about accomplished in us. And in um, John chapter 4, Jesus actually said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish or accomplish his work. So this is a different one. This is a different kind of complete. It's to do it, to see it done, to see it accomplished, to see it matured. And so God is love. We said that at the beginning. God is the source that we tap into. He's already full. He's not lacking. If we don't love others, he's not going to be incomplete or not full of love but his love isn't accomplished on this earth it hasn't done what it's come to do until we love one another does that make sense we actually tap into a very full source of love we branch out bear fruit and accomplish the loving of others we accomplish what he came to do so cool to get to be a part of that isn't it to be a part of what god is doing and to help him finish his work in this earth Cool, cool. Let's look at verses 13 through 15 next. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. 
And we have seen and testify the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. So the thing I want to key on on is, it's another one of these, this is how we know statements, right? They're all over First John. How do we know we're believers? It's that he wants to assure and give us confidence that we are true believers. And this is one of the ways. He's given us his spirit. God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of those who believe. And it's really funny. If you take that a step further and you go look in Galatians 5, what's the first fruit of the spirit? It says the fruit of the spirit is love. And then the list goes on, right? So God's spirit lives in you. And the evidence, the fruit that that bears is love. So again, we're dancing around, love one another. God is love. He's the source of love. Remain in me. Bear fruit of love. The Spirit is in you. And what's the fruit of the Spirit? Love. He's just going around and around this from all these different ways. Hopefully one of these ways is speaking to you about love. I don't know that there are any more to do. (laughs) He's covering every angle. And so the life of a child of God, we kind of talked about one of the purposes of the letter is to describe righteous living. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? And it's all kind of summed up in in the verses that led up to this and this. It's acknowledging Jesus as Savior, as it says here. It's being made alive through Christ, being made at one with God through Christ. It's receiving the Holy Spirit that can live inside of you as the temple of the Holy Spirit, we're called, and then bearing the fruit of the Spirit, which is to love one another. That's a pretty full picture of the Christian life. All right, moving on. Verse 16. I think I skipped a page there. We know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. It's just a restatement. I'm not going to dwell on that one. Again, God is love. Let's keep going. All right, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's that word complete again. I bet you can guess which kind. It's that accomplished, finished, matured, right? So love is not made complete until we are like Jesus. And what does it look like to be like Jesus? Again, we covered it, right? It's sacrificial loving, it's serving, It's being willing to pay the price for the good of others. And then we get into this very famous verse. I think it's probably the basis for the song we sang about no longer being a slave to fear. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. So this time it's translated perfect in this verse twice. But it's that same Greek word again that we're talking about. It's that finished, accomplished, matured love that he's talking about. It's already full. God's already full of love, but it's accomplished when it drives out fear. And those who fear have not had it matured or accomplished in their life. And there's evidence of that by the fear. So it says here, fear has to do with punishment. And the commentators, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, put it this way. They said, fear anticipates punishment and even now has the foretaste of it. 
Perfect love is incompatible with self, such a self-punishing fear. So one of those fancy words, those commentators and their fancy words, right? What it means is fearing a future punishment for sin is already punishment in itself. Have you ever had to do something you really don't want to do? And you're like, man, I got to go do that this afternoon. Of course not on Mother's Day. <laughs> totally second time. But some days you're like, man, after work I got to go do this thing. And I really don't want to do it. And it just keeps coming up in your mind all day and it drives you nuts. It's a punishment in and of itself. Sometimes it's worse than just going and getting the thing over with. That's why if you got the flexibility, you're like, let's just get this over with. I don't want to anticipate it all day. And that's what we're talking about here is that we know that relationship with God is broken. Actually, in the book Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis is a great Christian thinker, and, and he talks about that even people who haven't read the Bible know that there is a, a good and an evil, and they know that they don't live up to the standard of goodness. Even before you talk, start talking about biblical ideas of what is good and what is God, we all know, right? Somebody cuts in line and it's like, hey, that's wrong. But then when we cut in line, it's like, well, I have a really good reason to break the rule, right? We break the rules. And, and we know that if God is perfectly good and holy, that there has to be a justice for the breaking of rules. And we're like, man, all of sin, the wages of sin is death. I deserve death. And so there can be this creeping in of the fear of punishment. And John's like, that's not how it has to be. There's a perfect love that can be accomplished in your life that will drive that out. You don't have to live with that, right? You can be a child of God, like you talked about in chapter 3, that lives knowing your Father's love and having fear driven out. So if you ever have moments where you start to slip into that fear of punishment or the drive to try to earn your way out of it, like, I'm going to do some really good stuff today to make up for the bad stuff I did yesterday. That kind of works with people, but we know we can't earn our way to salvation. We can't earn our way out of the debt caused by sin. The only way is to receive the gift of Christ and let his full source of love well up within us to receive his Holy Spirit and just tap deeply into that and then let it flow out of us to love others, not as a way to earn our way out of the punishment, but just as an expression that we already are free from punishment because of what Christ did. That is good. I could go on and on. I think I already have. So there's a different kind of fear that those same commentators talked about. They talked about a godly fear of offending God and how it's different than a fear of punishment. Um, and I won't read their wording because it's funny, but it's this idea of like, wow, God, your love is amazing and so good and you've done so much for me and I've experienced that and so I wouldn't want to do anything to offend you. That's like a good and proper honoring of somebody that you love. It's a love-based obedience. And there's a different kind of obedience. It's the, oh boy, God is holy and he's omniscient. That means he knows everything. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. So he sees all the stuff I'm doing. And so I better do some stuff right. (laughs) That may produce obedience. That may produce a lookalike fruit, right? Of like doing the right thing, going to church on Sunday morning, you know, reading the Bible, praying. It could produce all these things that are in obedience with the rules, but they're based out of fear and not based out of love, right? And so we want to taste test for love, even in our own lives. 
Is what I'm doing right now fear-motivated or love-motivated? And if it's the wrong one, in a sense it's easy, although it's hard to do, just tap back into that source of love. Remember what God has done for us. Remember how much he loved us. And make that shift back to love-based obedience. Famous verse for a reason. That's so good. All right, verse 20. Only two left. Two verses to go. You're on the home stretch. And down the stretch say, come. That's how the horse announcers do it in the horse races. Or so I've heard. All right. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Right? And I think it's saying hate is an incompatible fruit. Right? It's not compatible with who we are. It's not compatible with the source that we're supposed to be tapped into. And so to have hate in us shows that we need to tap into the source. Cut that, vine, cut that branch off and find one that is tapped into the right source. So if you have those people in your life that just get under your skin, you've got to find a way to forgive them for the ways that they've wronged you. If you have that trauma from long, long ago, and you've said, well, time heals all wounds. Yeah, maybe not. You know, (laughs) in my experience, time lessens some of the effects of it. But forgiveness is where true healing comes in you got to just forgive them. It doesn't mean that what they did wasn't wrong, that it didn't hurt you, that it didn't maybe screw up years and years of your life, you know. But forgiveness says, even though it was wrong, I'm going to forgive you because God forgave me. You know what? It's just pragmatic. It is practical to forgive others because it frees us, you know, from holding on to that hurt for the rest of our lives. So it's just so important. You know, and it's easy to just go, well, I don't hate (laughs) and move on from this verse. You know, but Jesus was so good at like saying, hey, you've heard that it was said you should not murder. But I tell you, anybody who is angry at his brother, has already committed murder in his heart. It's like, oh, man, murder is a lot of things now when you put it to that standard, Jesus. And you kind of apply that to this verse. Well, I don't hate my brother. Yeah, but if I hold on forgiveness, you know, that's not the source You know, I'm so glad that God's love for me doesn't hold on to any unforgiveness for the things that I've done wrong, right? Oh, I'm so thankful for that. So let's, again, tap into the true source of love, which is God, and love like he does with deep forgiveness. All right, let's wrap it up. How did John wrap it up? At the end of this part of the letter, he said, He has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And it sounds really similar again, but then I noticed what he was doing here. He's like, He has given us this command. It's like John's way of saying, I'm not just making this up, you guys, that you need to love each other because I want you to be easier to handle as a church, as your overseer. If you love each other, it'd solve a lot of problems for me. He, I'm not making this up. It's what Jesus said. I was like, oh, that makes so, so much sense. He's bringing authority. He said all this stuff around and around again and again. And he's like, and why? Because Jesus said to. And so I went and found it. Where did Jesus say that love was so important? Well, in Matthew 22, somebody came up to him and said, oh, great teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he boiled it down to two things, love God and love your neighbor. The, the whole Old Testament law, what God was accomplishing for years through the nation of Israel, is fulfilled in Jesus. And he says, it's love. Yeah. 
Jesus is the expression of God's love. Love God, love your neighbor. And it's kind of the same thing we've been saying. Love God is first. Tap into that source and it will enable you to love your neighbor. Jesus said it also in John chapter 13. When he said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's funny. John does this too in 1 John. He's like, I give you a new command, but it's an old one. And Jesus kind of did that, right? As we look at these two, he's like, I'm giving you a new command to love one another. It's the same one he just said that sums up all the law and the prophets. It's an old command, but it's a new command. It's an old command, but you can do it in a new way through Christ. You tap into the source of God's love, and you bear that fruit of loving one another. And that's how it works. So I just wanted to wrap up by sharing with you my experience with God's love. And, um, you know, I had been a Christian for many years already, but I really struggled with that fear of punishment thing, you know, and I continued to make the same mistakes long after being a Christian and really trying to follow Jesus. But I continue to make the same mistakes. The same sins keep popping up, popping up, popping up. And one day I'm at, I'm at New Day Nichols campus. Um, and if you've been there, the sanctuary is turned the other way. So I always remember I was way over on the left side, kind of where the stage is now. And worship's going on and I was just feeling bad about my sin. <laughs> bad about my sin. I'm like, man, I can't even sing and raise my hands. How could I raise my hands today knowing what I've just done or what I've done in the past? It goes on and on and on. And then just like that, boom, I had my eyes closed and, um, and God showed me me doing like my worst sin that I felt the worst about. And I'm like, oh, yep, see, he wants to point it out too. <laughs> He's confirming all my fears of punishment. And then it changed, like, in, a, in an instant. And I was not doing it anymore. I was not doing my sin. I saw Jesus doing my sin. I'm like, that is bad theology, God. I've probably told you this story here before. It's one of the most transformational um, things that's happened in my life. And uh, I'm like, Jesus didn't sin. And, and it was God's way of getting my attention, engaging me. And, and I heard him say to me, he's like, that's how I see it. And, it, I mean, it almost brings me to tears every time I tell the story, or it does, because I was like, wow, really? You see it like that? Like, you don't see my sin. You don't dwell on it. You're not trying to punish me and keep track of everything I've done wrong, but you really do love me. And I'd heard it again and again in messages at New Day for years, but that was when it really started to sink in. And it was the beginning of such an amazing transformation in my life. I kept making the same mistakes for a while longer, but that was really the turning point, you know, and my fruit started to turn around because instead of trying to just, you know, like imagine a plant like, you know, making poisonous grapes, Canadian moon seeing they're like, I'm going to make a good grape. <coughs> pop. Is one going to pop out? It didn't work. <laughs> and it didn't work for me. I tried harder and harder and harder to live a good life. It was not working. But as soon as I could tap into that source of God's love and really believe that he loved me, the fruit followed. It was really good.